Have you ever gone ahead of God? Pastor Xavier Reese, today on Simple Truths. Too many Christians are quick to be organizers without sufficient agonizing. They just organize, but they don't agonize. You gotta agonize first, you gotta pray. You gotta go to the Lord to get your instructions. He's master, he guides, not us. A call to serve is pursued through prayer. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Most successful businesses are run by very capable but all too often unapproachable leaders. Well, today, Pastor Xavier takes us to the Lord's School of Business Management that offers some far different lessons than today's conventional wisdom. It's the simple truths he draws in a message from the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. Let's listen. Today in our nation and the world, there is a great void regarding leadership. But not leadership that expects to be served, but leadership that is committed to serve. The church is no different, sadly. It seems that the bent of man is always to turn inward rather than outward. It's to give an appearance of servanthood under the guise of hypocrisy. Certainly when Jesus walked, he demonstrated that with the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees. I mean, they were epitome of the religious people of the day. In fact, he says, you know, you guys don't even enter in and you hinder others to enter in to heaven. You're a stumbling block to them. I believe that the book of Nehemiah provides for us many insights and principles for servant leadership. There is no other type of leadership taught from Genesis to Revelation. It's always servant leadership. And somehow in our Western culture, in our trying to organize and sanitize and things that go on in the church, we have made the church sort of like a worldly pyramid and some kind of corporate management. And that's foreign to the scriptures. The church is an organism. If you were with us in our our series on the nature of the church, it's an organism. God asked the church daily, such you should be saved. Now, Jesus said to his disciples, listen carefully, in Luke 22, 25 through 26. The kings of the Gentiles exercise leadership over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. But not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. Now you remember that occasion of that scripture in Luke 22, 25 through 26, It promoted the teaching here of the conversation of the disciples who were asking for who was the greatest in the kingdom. It was common. It was repeated over and over again. Who's the greatest in the kingdom? And the third and last time that it appears, it was at the Last Supper. And rather than Jesus teaching them any longer by words, he just resorted to his example. And he girded himself with a towel bowl of water and wash their feet. And he said, I have given you an example that you should do as I have done in John 13, 15. Think about it. This is Jesus Christ, God. And what does he do on the night before he's betrayed? He washed his dirty feet. That was the lowest thing that the lowest servant would do in the house when someone came to the house. If, he, if the master didn't have a servant, the master would do it himself. 
Now, they didn't have shoes. They had sandals. They walked in dirt places and all the junk and all the crud, and you would have to clean all over. This is what our Lord Jesus Christ did. He is the model for leadership. There is no other model. When you have pastors exalted, and you have pastors being chauffeured, and everything else, it's not after the example of Jesus Christ. I'm not speaking against God blessing the ministry or anything, but no matter how much God bless that ministry, that pastor better be a servant. And if he's not, he's lost it. He's lost perspective. We want to begin here our series of Nehemiah by looking at Nehemiah's call to serve in the capacity of servant leadership in this first chapter. Let me read here chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah. It came to pass in the month of Shidlub, in the twelfth year, as I was in Shushan, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The walls of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. And so it was, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open that you may hear the prayers of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you, both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinance which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me, and keep my commandments and do them. Though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Now, these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name and let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was a king's cupbearer. Three things are revealed about Nehemiah's call to serve here in chapter 1. First, a call to serve is prompted by God, verse 1 through 3. It's prompted by God. Second, a call to serve is pursued through prayer. 4 through 10. And thirdly, a call to serve is personalized by making oneself available. Verse 11. Three truths that are given to us here about a call to serve. Let's begin here with the first. A call to serve is prompted by God. Notice verse 1. God had decided to call Nehemiah years after the captivity. It has been 13 years since Ezra had returned in the seventh year of Artaxerxes. You find this in Ezra 7.7. 7. Thirteen years after that. 
It is now the 20th year of his reign, around November, December, 446 B.C. And Nehemiah is in the fortified palace of Shushan or Susa, whichever your translation has, about 100 miles north of the Persian Gulf. Modern-day Iran is Persia, but it was Persia before that. Now notice in verse 2 that God used Hanani to begin the work in the heart of Nehemiah through a normal conversation about the remnant that had returned with Ezra. So Nehemiah is just in his everyday duties with the king, as we'll see. And God is at work. God had promised their captivity. God is looking at the end of the captivity. God is looking at the return of the captivity. He's looking at all this. God is in control. And he's beginning to work in another way, and he's going to be working on Nehemiah's heart. And he does it through a normal, everyday situation and conversation. Some believe that Hanani here is Nehemiah's blood brother, uh, Nehemiah 7.2 would give us that evidence. And he asked notice about the Jews who had escaped and survived the captivity. So this is the remnant. Seventy years, as you know, they were in Babylon. The book of Ezekiel gives us all the details, the book of Jeremiah. And he asked about Jerusalem. Nehemiah had only heard about Jerusalem for he was born in captivity. He had never seen Jerusalem. And he's asking about it. Too often we are expecting God to work only through the miraculous. When in fact the scriptures reveal that he uses the most natural means to manifest the supernatural. Everyday situations, everyday things that God works through. As you look to your life, things that God has done in your past. When you just thought you were going to go to the store, oh I forgot that you went there. And you happen to meet somebody and they happen to say, you know, oh man, I bumped, you know, I, I, I want you to pray for me. And they share something or whatever it is. No coincidence. Or that you get a flat on the free, oh, doggone, and then you move up. And just as soon as you pull out, just five minutes, there may be a wreck there or something. Oh, Lord, is it you? Things that we don't understand that God is at work. You understand? Normal things. God used the conditions of his people to move upon Nehemiah's heart. Notice in verse 3. They were in great distress. They were in great reproach. He was in the palace. <laughs> now God put him there for such a time as this. Kind of like Esther. We are told that Jesus looked on the multitudes and he had compassion because he saw them as sheep having no shepherd. The very heart of servanthood is having compassion for the people of God. You understand? God uses these situations to test us. Notice still in verse 3, God used the condition of Jerusalem to accomplish his purposes. The walls were broken down. Walls speak of protection and safety. They were open to destruction, the elements, the enemies. And the gates were burned. Gates speak of authority and leadership, lacking by the elders and judges who would sit at the gate. Everything's burnt down, destroyed. This is the city of God, Jerusalem, his capital. You know, even as God prompted Daniel's heart through the book of Jeremiah, as you know, he saw that the captivity was almost self, so he sought the Lord to see how he would fit in. So was Nehemiah now being moved through the news of Hanani here regarding the remnant. God's working in the heart. He's dealing with certain situations. Very individually. 
God is looking to see if you are open and ready to be prompted by God to serve by and through the most natural means such as a conversation with God's people. Are you coming here open to say, Lord, use me today? Have you prayed? Have you spent time with God before you come to church and say, Lord, minister to my heart. How can I serve you? Let me be used of you. Or are you just coming and say, oh, man, I hope somebody's there can help me today. What's your perspective? Are you being the church or are you just coming to church? Now, there's a caution. Alan Redpath, the late Alan Redpath. I'm going to quote him. He says, a need never constitutes a call. Very important. If you look around everywhere, you're going to find more needs than you can imagine. And if you think that you're Robin Hood or the Holy Spirit, you're going to go crazy. God only wants you to do what he calls you to do. Not everything you see. Now, it's very obvious that if you're walking across the street and a lady's got her hands full and she's got a baby and she she can't open the door, go open the door. But as a Christian, you need to do only what God calls you to do. We have certain callings, certain gifts, and he's called you to do certain things. And God calls other people to do other things, and that's how God gets everything done. Okay? So a need never constitutes a call. Too many Christians are quick to be organizers without sufficient agonizing. They just organize. But they don't agonize. You've got to agonize first. You've got to pray. We're going to see that. You've got to go to the Lord to get your instructions. He's master. He guides. Not us. God's burden prompted on our hearts will always have to do with people, not things. Simple principle. His call and his burden prompted in our hearts will always have to do with people, not things. Too often today, people love things and use people. And we are to love people and use things. And even the church has missed it here. I am amazed that right now with all the financial difficulties that are going on, that many churches are cutting back. Their funds are down. They've laid off staff. How interesting, some of these big, huge churches are the ones that are in deficit because they've been very creative. They're into marketing. Rather than doing what God wants them to do, they want to impress the world. I'm not against big. I'm only against big if God's not in it. You understand? Because saying that small is better is just as bad if God hasn't made you small. You understand? God always prompts us to accomplish his purposes, not ours. God had promised to return to the Jews and rebuild Jerusalem. This is what he's doing here. God tells us that we are his handiwork or workmanship created in Christ Jesus that we might walk in them. Ephesians 2.10. His poem, literally. His message. Things that he's prepared for you and I to walk in. Now, whether I walk in them will be dependent upon whether I seek him or whether I just take off running and do everything that I want to do thinking that I'm pleasing God. You understand? God has chosen the diversity and uniqueness and unity of the body to accomplish this. In 1 Corinthians 12, we have the diversity of gifts. We have different callings. And so a call to service prompted by God. That's the first thing we learn from Nehemiah. 
God is the one. Secondly, 4 through 10, a call to serve is pursued through prayer. Nehemiah was a man of prayer. If you read the whole book of Nehemiah, as I encourage you, you found out that Nehemiah is praying in chapter 2, verse 4, 4, 4, and 5, 4, 9, 5, 19, 6, 9, 6, 14, 13, 14, 13, 22, 13, 29, 13, 31. He's a man of prayer. He's always praying. Look at verse 4. A call to serve is pursued through prayer. Persistency in prayer will bring about God's burdens, not our own. Look at verse 4. He sat down, he wept when he heard. He mourned for many days. He fasted and prayed before God, the God of heaven. How long do you suppose Nehemiah prayed? If you look at the beginning date, and then look at chapter 2, verse 1, four months. You got a conversation. God started dealing with your heart. So you go to God. Lord, is this you? What do you want of me? You speak to me. You guide me. Four months. I'm embarrassed by Nehemiah. Look at verse 5. Proper perspective of God in prayer is important. He prayed to the God of heaven, no longer in the temple due to his destruction, yet recognizing that he is still able to control all things. Because the temple was destroyed, that didn't put God out of business. (laughs) He sits in the heavens. He sits on his throne. We saw this last week in Peter, right? He prayed calling God, oh, great and awesome God, declaring that there is nothing impossible for him. Regardless of the situation, what's going on, God is outside of man's time domain and outside of man's limitations. And if this is God working in my heart, then I want to turn to him. Notice he prayed to God who was trustworthy, keeping his covenant and mercy with those who love him and observe his commandments. God is always looking to and fro to find a man to show himself strong or a woman. He's always looking for instruments. And those whose hearts are open to him, God will use. God is not up there biting his nails. He can get his work done without us. (laughs) Angels could do a better job, guaranteed. But he wants to use you and I. But there you have those who keep a covenant and mercy with those who love him and observe his commandments. Notice personal confession and intercession in prayer is basic. Verse 6 and 7. He prayed day and night. He prayed for Israel. His servants, plural. He didn't think he was the only one. That's good. You don't want to get a complex like that. And he prayed confessing corporate guilt. We, notice that, we have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinance which you commanded your servant Moses. He includes himself. This is always a very wise thing to do. Now look at verse 8 and 10. Petitions are based on God's promises. When we pray to God, 
His promise to scatter Israel if they disobeyed had occurred. Verse 8. Remember, I pray the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. He told this over and over again. He told it through Moses about Sinai. He said it through Moses to the second generation that would enter the land in Deuteronomy. And it happened just as he prophesied. They would disobey, and he would scatter them. Leviticus 26.33 is a verse you might look at in Deuteronomy 28.64. But all the curses... And that are in Leviticus 26. It's also in relationship to the scattering and the gathering. Deuteronomy 27, 28, the blessings, the cursings also. But notice, secondly, his promise to regather them if they return to God in obedience in verse 9. So he acknowledges God's word, and he can't lie. God says, if you do this, I will do this. If you don't do this, then I won't do this. Verse 9, he says, but if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, Though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 29 through 31. Deuteronomy 30, verse 1 through 4. We'll give you that also. And you remember 1 Kings 8, when Solomon was dedicating the temple? He claimed all these promises in Deuteronomy in that. And he says, God, if we ever turn our backs and we turn to you, hear our prayers. If we're at war, we're in trouble, and we repent. Hear our prayers. And he, and he claims all these promises based on the conditions of repentance and obedience, right? And notice verse 10, his personal redemption of Israel in verse 10. He says, now these are your servants, your people, and you have redeemed by your great power, by your strong hand. Everything is God's. Nehemiah recognizes that all belongs to God. His personal redemption of Israel. Exodus 19.5, the treasure, a peculiar treasure, special treasure, his people. Peter gives us the same identity in 1 Peter 2, kingdom of priests. Prayer is much like um, a check to be countersigned by two parties. I sign the check, and I send it up to heaven. If Jesus Christ also signs it, it doesn't matter how large it is. It will be honored. But prayer always begins with God. You remember Moses prayed when God was going to destroy the children of Israel there in Exodus 32, 32? God, if you can't forgive them, wipe my name out of the book of life. You got one of two choices. Either Moses was more merciful and compassionate than God, or God laid that burden on his heart to pray that prayer. <laughs> I opt for the second. Prayer always begins with God, and he burdens your heart And we lift that petition up to God as He moves on our heart. You understand? When I ask something of God because He's prompting me, and if He's in it, then He will do it. Prayer begins with God. My responsibility is to exhort you to go to God to see what He would have you to do. I don't know what He's called you to do, but He's called you to do something in the church of Jesus Christ, whether you come here or somewhere else, right? And only you can know it. Find your gifts, your calling, and then jump in with both feet into the trenches. A call to serve is pursued through prayer. Pastor Xavier Reese and the importance of putting your prayers before action. Simple truths we glean from Nehemiah chapter 1 today. Now you can hear this message again anytime online 
by simply selecting today's date at the radio listings link you'll find at calvarychapelpasadena.com. But there's much more to come on the life of Nehemiah right here as well. And if you'd like your own personal copy of today's message in its entirety, the title to request is A Call to Serve. They're available on CD for only $4. And be sure to pass this along to your family and friends who do not yet know the Lord. So once again, the title to ask for is A Call to Serve. Or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it helps us when you tell us the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This way we can track the impact of this outreach in your area. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Why is it so hard to get laborers for the kingdom? That's next time when Pastor Xavier Reese brings us more Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California, www.calvarychapelpasadena.com.